And I'm Allie. And it's about time for True Crime. Hey. Hey. <laughs> we really almost said hey at the same time again, but we did it. And I purposely tried to not look at you so that it could be yeah. a little bit different, but here nope. we are. Um, how is your Tuesday going? Because Allie and I have been fighting with microphones for mm, two weeks now. Correct. So that's where we're at. Uh, but you know what? At least we're recording. It's a beautiful Tuesday. It's a it nice is. day out. We're very happy to be here. This is like one of our favorite things to do and we love hanging out with you. So thank you for hanging out with us. Sure is. And because you guys, we've been fighting with microphones for two weeks, we didn't get to record last week. So even though you guys get to jump right through to part two of this mother friggin shit show, mm-hmm. I had to wait three weeks and now I want to die. It's true. You've had to wait quite a long time. I have been on the edge of my seat for so long. My metaphorical ass is sore. <laughs> I don't know how you did it, but I'm so tired. <laughs> I know. Well, it, it this is probably the worst case I could have chosen to then have a technical difficulty for you to just still have to wait Love to it. find out I know. any kind of resolution, which, if I'm being honest, just at the top here, isn't much of one. Oh, great. Um. I just don't want to set you up for like, oh, yeah, but like there's a great ending to this. Yeah. No, not quite. Okay. Not particularly. Oh, okay. Should we just jump into it? Yeah, I think we should. Because um, you guys have waited long enough, or at least Abby's waited weeks. Yeah. I'm into it. I hope y'all are into it. Let's do this thing. All right. Well, then I would just like to welcome everybody back to the second and final installment. Oh, hey. Of our series on Teresa North, the worst mother ever. Mother of the Year Award. <laughs> yeah, worst mother of the Year yeah. Award recipient since the 60s. Shit. Is what I've so unlovingly have called her. Oh, delightful. So, I know that the last episode was very rough, very heavy. To say the least. And I'd be lying again if I said that it gets better in this episode. Oh. But family doesn't lie to each other. And you are part of the ATFTC family. That's true. So we're just going to get through it together. Well, I can't wait to get through it. And hopefully she gets any sort of karmic retributions. Well, then I think you're just going to have to stay tuned. Well, isn't that just the way? So freaking dandy. Yes. Okay. The same trigger warnings are going to apply from last episode. Again, lots of abuse, torture, murder, you name it, we have it. The sources are always included in the description, but a quick overview includes Dennis McDougall's book, Mother's Day, Investigation Discoveries, Deadly Women, Season 4, Episode 7, The Lineup, Loading News, Sentinel, Cinemaholic, Murderpedia, LA Times, and Crime With My Coffee podcast episodes 130 and 131. Okay. And if you are like me and you like to listen to cases chronologically, then I highly encourage you to just go back and listen to part one if you haven't already because it's really not going to make a whole lot of sense and pack the punch that it should unless you kind of get the background. Yeah. But to give you the TLDR version, uh, in episode one, we covered the early life of Teresa Knorr and while it was tumultuous at best, it is no excuse for all the fuckery she unleashed on her family. She was married, she had a kid, shot and killed her first husband, was acquitted, had another kid, married again, had another four kids, more marriages, more divorces, lots of alcohol, lots of abuse, and lots of delusions. 
She began inflicting abuse on her children in various ways, including but certainly not limited to physical beatings and verbal degradation. She threw knives at them. She force fed them, handcuffed them, shot one of them, locked them away and forbade them from having any kind of typical life. Yep. And was just abusive in every sense of the word. So like a normal Tuesday. Correct. And she definitely focused the majority of her rage on her daughters, but that didn't necessarily mean that her sons were spared any of the abuse. And last episode, we wrapped up with the torture that her 17-year-old daughter, Susan, had endured. Susan had been shot and she miraculously recovered, which was insane. Yeah, on its own. (laughs) But Teresa wouldn't let her leave home and just sort of run away without first fishing out the bullet that was still lodged in her back. Which is still fucking wild to me that she was like, yeah, you can run away. Hold up, though. Pinterest DIY, get the bullet out of my daughter's surgery. Like, what Reddit thread can I find on how to do this type of shit? I love Reddit, but um, go to a fucking doctor. Well, and the thing was, or don't is shoot, actually don't shoot your kid. But like, you know what I mean? <laughs> true. But if step one's already done, step two is go to the doctor. Yeah. Right. <laughs> but with Susan, I understand that she was 17 years old. But aside from her age and just the psychological abuse and like dependency and very unhealthy relationship she had with her mother and her family. Take all that aside. She was able bodied. She could have left. She could like she yeah. could have run to anybody told anyone anything but she was so paralyzed in her fear that she wouldn't do anything without permission and that included getting away from the torture well that and also like you think about last time she went to the child protective services and that not only didn't help it made things worse for susan it made things so much worse and so she's like please you never have to see me again you'll never have to look at me you can hate me disown me whatever but please let me go And Teresa said, "Mm, okay, bet, but I'm going to get that evidence out of your back because I don't trust you and I don't want this to come back to me. Like she had the forethought enough to think about what the implications could be down the line. Yeah. But didn't for a second consider or care about what her daughters experienced, what that would mean, and ultimately how it would result in her death. Okay. So... After the at-home surgery, she did not recover like she had the last time from the initial gunshot wound. She went septic, and then she went into a coma. And where I left you last, Teresa and her sons Robert and William had disposed of Susan on the side of the road and set her and her belongings on fire. Now, what police determined once the body was found, and again, this body was labeled a Jane Doe because they weren't able to identify her because no one came forward and claimed her. Right. Is that Susan had been alive at the time she was set on fire. Yeah. So, unfortunately, there wasn't anything identifiable on the body. It didn't match any missing person reports. It didn't match anything. So, they were entirely unable to do anything with it except label her a Jane Doe. Shit. And I wish I could say that they were all rounded up and arrested and prosecuted, but that's that's why there's a part two. That's not that's yeah. not what happens here. Yeah, I figured if we were gonna be done in like ten minutes, we would have had just like a part one. And I wouldn't have made you especially wait several weeks yeah. and our lovely family of listeners one week. We're so really let's in it now, <laughs> you guys. <laughs> let's let's pick up where we left off. All right. 
So after Susan was dead, Teresa turned her focus to her next oldest daughter. Okay. She began sessions of force feeding, where she would make the other children assist in forcing Sheila, her oldest daughter, to eat, shoving food down her throat. Uh. When Sheila would inevitably gag and then vomit, she would force her to eat what she'd thrown up as well as the rest of the food in the plate. So she would be fed to the point of, like, unable to eat anymore. Like, feeling engorged, Uh. vomit, and then be forced to eat that too like and i dog. i think that there's an interesting thing to point out here and i didn't see it really gone into much but Teresa was so self-conscious isn't the right word because i think that makes her sound human mm-hmm. but so obsessed and disillusioned about what she looked like right and the causes for that i have no doubt that her body had some you know had negative implications of all the alcohol use and not taking care of herself and being essentially like a hermit not leaving the house not doing anything to take care of herself whatsoever i'm sure she wasn't making her annual physical like let's be honest she wasn't getting (laughs) her flu shot all right so i think a lot of things were going on here that she decided not to look at or her mental illness was so bad that she couldn't consider those things but i find it interesting that one of the biggest things that she was frustrated with in herself was her weight gain right and then her daughters are the threat and so she force feeds them like are you in a in a way that just makes me think is she trying to make them gain weight right you know it and so that's just something i didn't see it laid out like that and i'm not too sure of the psychology behind that but it made me think. That seems like some good projection, you know? I mean, I think so. And she's made it very clear she does not really care about their well-being and pretty much hates them. So. Oh, yeah. Not even... I mean, just not even a little bit. Yeah. And she was so forceful to Sheila that she chipped her two front teeth. Oh. Like, shoving food in her mouth so aggressively and violently yeah. that she literally broke the teeth in her mouth to do that. That's nuts. From someone who broke both front teeth it took a literal steel bar on a playground that's a lot of force i imagine that it was the use of like cups thrown like forced into her mouth like right or spoons or forks or whatever but i know what i was thinking she essentially recruited the other children to assist her in holding her still so that she could do that so i can't imagine that this was just like an accident Here comes the airplane. yeah do you know what i'm saying yeah. like open wide that wasn't that's not what happened yeah and it just makes it all the more disgusting and horrible sheila was the main focus of the beatings and Teresa would tell her other children that if she was receiving a punishment they were not to intervene and her little sister terry would look on in horror as she watched her mother's raged focus on her and Sheila was the only sister she had left. Right. Susan's dead. Terry's not totally sure what happened to her, but, but she knows she's gone and she hasn't come home and she won't be coming home. Right. Because Terry's like the youngest, youngest. Yeah. Right? Terry's the baby. And while she's the, the one that, depending on the source, she either accidentally shot her. She denies this. If you hear Terry tell the story, mm-hmm. she says she never had the gun that Teresa had it the whole time right. when Susan was shot. But. If you hear the brother's side of it, the brother says Teresa gave her the gun and just said pointed at her. And Terry 
might not even remember if it was her right but also there was no way she knew what she was doing or what she had in her hand and she was told you know pull this trigger if she moves right it could have been as simple as that mom says yeah because if you don't you die fuck so she's looking on as horror as her big sister her only big sister left is being tortured Teresa felt threatened by Sheila, just as she did with Susan. She felt that with every waking moment Sheila was alive, she was depleting Teresa of her beauty. And doing so in some kind of witchcrafty way. Oh my god, it's tangled. (laughs) Teresa refused to acknowledge that she wasn't 20 anymore, and apparently didn't consider that the violent, unhealthy, and alcohol-driven lifestyle she led was doing nothing to keep her feeling good. So instead, (laughs) her resentment for Sheila just grew by the day. Yeah. Sheila had been forced into sex work by her mother. And Teresa had been collecting unemployment from the state of California for what seems like her entire life. And I'm not sure how she was able to do that. But somehow this bitch found a way. So there was no checks and balances of who was getting money and why. She just collected a check, sat in her ass, and tortured her kids. But... With essentially pimping out Sheila, she had a separate stream of income, so she didn't right. mind that. Ugh. She had extra money coming in. Oh, that's so disgusting. This seems to be the only time in Sheila's life, her 20 years on the planet, that she was encouraged to or even allowed to speak with anyone outside of the family. Right. And it was only to sell her body to make money to hand right over to her mother. I do not get the impression that Sheila was excited about this, that this was something she wanted to do, but she may have looked at it as the only chance she got to leave the house. It was the only chance she got to have fresh air, whatever kind of hint of a life outside of the walls that she was trapped in, of what the real world might have been like. And can you imagine what kind of glimpse into the real world that is? Well, not only that, but like disappointing that that is like alleviating from her mother you know what I mean like it got her away from her mom at least I'm not you know there's I'm not having to eat my own vomit right now yep that's awful that is so fucking inhumane well it's it's not gonna get better I know I'm just upset Sheila was allowed to stay out later at night than she had ever been able to. She was allowed to speak with men, which was likely the only time she talked to men that weren't her brothers. And that was the extent of her time outside their cramped, disgusting apartment. Mm. Then, one day, Teresa becomes enraged at Sheila. And I should specify that I only mean more than her typical daily rage toward her eldest daughter, but she was enraged. She accused Sheila of contracting an STD and passing it to Teresa by sharing the same toilet seat. Girly pop, that ain't how that goes. You got a yeast infection. What she do you beat the shit out of Sheila because she thought she thought that her daughter had a sexually transmitted disease. She did not confirmed thought and she assumed that she must have it. And it was passed to her by sharing the same toilet because all of a sudden she's not feeling great downstairs. Also, if she did get one, first of all, these days, and I know this is not these days, but these days one in four people have them. Please be safe. But 
That's not a good thing. (laughs) It's not a good thing that one in four people have them. But it's not. But it's like it's common. It happens. But the thing is, if she had them, whose fault is that? Because she's not going around doing that for funsies. This wasn't like she was like, oh, mom, could you please let me out? This is what I want to do. But she doesn't know what she wants. She's 20 years old and she's still bound physically and mentally by her mother. Well, and, and so she's being accused of like she's basically like you're a whore and it's like what the fuck well and it's one of those things too that's like sex work is a normal trade that people go into but it's different than being forced into it like trafficked into it and mm-hmm. then again to be trafficked into it and then beat and shamed for the thing that you had no control over that's so fucked yeah and i mean it like that kind of sex work is illegal so it's already putting her out on the street illegally you're pimping her out basically you're collecting the money at the end of the night you're evil and then when she inevitably yeah like i i get the sense that Teresa isn't screening the men that she's having her meet with no and there are awful people in the world i'm sorry and do I believe that Sheila was probably exposed to some of the awful people in the world who were awful to her while she's out there? Yeah. Who knows? Maybe it was so bad out there she was relieved to go home. I don't know. Yeah. We can't ask her and you'll find out why. Ah, fuck. So she's convinced that she's got an STD from her daughter. Okay. And Sheila's like, absolutely not she denied having any kind of disease or infection but it was too late because Teresa had already sealed her fate right in 1985 sheila was handcuffed and trapped in a narrow closet after suffering a severe beating what is it with this woman and her handcuffs the family was forbidden forbidden to give her food forbidden to give her water and were instructed to ignore her no matter how much she begged Water? Fucking yeah. A. Okay. And Sheila gave Terry a harrowing warning. She told her that Susan had told Sheila before she died that she felt that their mother was going to kill her. And if that was true and she was killed by her, she warned that Sheila would be next. And she was right because mm-hmm. she went from Susan to Sheila. Because of that, Sheila told Terry that she could see the light. And she was crawling toward it. She was literally becoming, like, she was essentially having hallucinations from being so in pain, so dehydrated, like, so just deprived. Yeah. That she was, like, seeing things. She was seeing a light. She was crawling toward it. But she warned her and she said, once I'm dead, she will come for you next. Yeah. Because you're the last daughter. And Terry was unsure of what to do at this point. She herself has only known fear and pain and she's seen what her mother does and she's careful of, you know, when her mother gets angry. Right. Because she's afraid. Yeah. yeah. And she also knows that if her mother's orders aren't obeyed, what hell will be waiting for her? So she's getting this warning from her while Sheila's basically chained in the closet. Right. But she's remembering that she can't talk to her. She also remembers that under no circumstances could anyone give her food or water. And then one day, Teresa left the house. 
and that was didn't that didn't happen often that was very rare yeah so terry checked on sheila again not allowed but she did it because it was the only chance that she would have because Teresa left right sheila was near delirious at this point having been starved and still tied up in the closet for weeks Mm. and when she sees her sister she begged for food and water and Terry was young, I believe 14-ish at the time, and she panicked. She did not know what to do. She opened the fridge, and she grabbed a beer, and she gave it to Sheila. Now, there's a couple of things that go through my mind with what Terry could be thinking. Either she freaked out, wanted to help quick, and grabbed the first thing she saw, which just happened to be a beer, mm-hmm. or she saw her mother drinking beer and her siblings also, likely, drinking beer, so much so that she thought that that's what she needed the most. Because she didn't give her water. Because Sheila needed water. But she gave her beer. As we did with Susan, though, I want to put a pin here. Okay. Put yourself in Sheila's place for a moment. Yeah. I know it's a dark place. We won't be here long. But I think it's important to just take a moment to try to grasp even the littlest bit of what one day could have been like in Sheila's life. So imagine you're her. You've been abused your entire life. Every waking moment of your 20 years. You've been beaten mercilessly. You've been forbidden to leave the house, even as an adult. You've witnessed your mother shoot your sister. You've witnessed her carve your sister's back open to retrieve the magic bullet. You watched your sister slip into a coma and heard your mother use this as confirmation that your sister is a witch and also possessed and whatever else she wants to call her. You know your sister was set on fire by your mother, and you know your brothers helped her do it. And you know that ever since Susan died, your mother's wrath has been fixated on you alone. You are 20 years old, and you've never really gotten to talk to anyone outside of your family. You've been stuck in the dingy, urine-soaked, disgusting apartment that you call home. You didn't go to high school. You never went to a prom. You've never been taken out on a date. You know your family doesn't have money, and you're not allowed to get a real job. Your mother forces you into sex work, and who knows what horrors awaited you there. You've never felt calmness, you've never known peace, and you may have never been touched by a person who's loved you. But you know some things. You know pain, you know grief, and you know fear. And in your final days, you know starvation and dehydration, and lastly... You know death. I'm sorry. I know it's so heavy. I can't sit in it. It's like, I mean, I can sit in it, but it's so heavy. So does she technically starve to death? Sheila had been locked in the broom closet for weeks, hogtied and not able to move. Her body was discovered three days after she was dead. At this discovery, Teresa doesn't shed a tear. She doesn't give a shit. She orders William and Robert to help her in removing the body. So Teresa and her two youngest sons, who were in their late teens at this time, Mm -hmm. are heading out with the intent of discarding Sheila in a similar manner to Susan. So they're trying to find a place to dump the body... And they want to set it ablaze. Yeah. Now, sources differ on the exact sequence of events here. But what I believe to have happened is that they dumped the body 
near a lake. Okay. But they were confronted by a police officer shortly afterward. Okay. They'd kind of gotten spooked and spoke to the police officer who told them that it was too late to be there. It was past whatever hours they could right. be in that park or something. And they were afraid to eventually like go back and set it on fire because they right. didn't want to lead the cop right back to where they just were because they were the ones seen there. Right. They just tried to hightail it out of there. So they had intended mm. to light it on fire just as they had done before. But they weren't able to do that. Now, okay. I don't know if the cop, they had, like, passed on the way there. They were, like, just dump her and leave. Or if, you know, the body had already been dumped. They saw lights, jumped in the car, spoke I with him, and yeah. was like, yeah, we're not going to go back out there because he's probably still hanging around. Got it. But regardless, they just left her there, hogtied in a cardboard box. What the fuck? That's how she said goodbye to her eldest daughter. Teresa then ordered Terry to clean the closet where her sister had died. So she was forced to clean her sister's blood and what I'm sure was human waste. I can't imagine that it wasn't. And all of this had to be removed from a two-by-two closet. A two-by-two It was a tiny little space. And she was instructed to rip up the carpet and to try to get rid of the evidence and live with that. See that, smell that, look at that, touch that, handle that, get rid of that. Deal with that. Terry had realized that she was next. Her two older sisters, her only sisters, had been murdered and discarded by the woman who was supposed to protect them. And Terry was finally starting to come to terms with the fact that she wasn't loved, but also she was next. Yeah. So she did become the focus of Teresa's rage. And she knew that she'd suffer the same fate if she didn't get out soon. Okay. Because it was starting for her. She was already getting the beating. She was already getting, like, tortured. Right. And she's like, this only ends one way. Yeah. So she decided that it wasn't going to happen to her. Okay. She begged her mother's permission to be able to leave and would typically receive some kind of abuse in response. Which she took as a no. (laughs) Then Teresa wanted to move out of the gross-ass apartment, and she feared that there was too much evidence of what the family had done in the apartment Yeah, to leave it the way it was. So Teresa's like, I want a new space. Whether she couldn't afford it, whether whatever it was, I don't know. But she's like, we're getting out of this dingy place. Okay. Similar to Susan, Teresa agreed to let Terry go, but she had conditions. Sure. There was no bullet to fish out of Terry's body, but there was a lot of evidence in that apartment still. The closet stank of decomp. There was just blood places. I mean, yeah, it was it was not good. And it was the scene of basically a real life horror movie. Yeah. And Teresa fucking knew that it was as bad as it was. And so she couldn't just leave it. So Teresa told Terry that if she would set fire to the apartment to hide what was left in the home, and especially what was left in the closet, she could be set free. Those were her conditions. Terry agreed to these conditions. She's like, yeah, whatever. I can do arson to get out of here later. You say jump, I'll ask how high. Like, what do I need to do to get out of here? So Teresa had moved all their stuff out of the apartment, and Terry snuck back in and poured an accelerant all throughout the place. Okay. Um, she tried to get it over to the 
closet and everything kind of make it there but had it all over the place so she like basically hung out of a window and threw a match in and watched it light up okay and unfortunately for them but fortunately for literally every other person the neighbors noticed the smoke immediately so the fire department was called and almost no damage was done to the apartment because they got there so soon hell yeah but it set off alarm bells for them because they obviously knew it was arson they could see the accelerant there was so much left there that not only could they see that this was definitely like someone setting this place on fire but they could see just how disgusting it was on the inside right with that, Teresa dipped the fuck out of there. Yep. And she blamed one of her sons for the fire and said that he was the one that started it. Okay. So Terry ran away from Teresa at 15 years old and she felt utterly lost. 15. From 15. From that point on, she was in and out of jail. She had begun using substances to cope. She had gone to a therapist and she told them everything. Okay. They discounted her story for being too outlandish. They didn't believe her. Yeah. She went to the police, who also dismissed her, because if that were true, they would have heard about it, or heard something about it, and they had nothing. Oh, my God. And then she went to an attorney who just blatantly told her they didn't believe her. So she's tried three times. Cool, 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 cool. The words coming out of her mouth were so awful and so evil and so unbelievable that they did just that. They didn't believe her. Right. And I think... Anyone, whether you work in the justice system or not, could hear a story of a mother brutalizing her children, her daughters especially, and would be quick to try to dismiss that as untrue because it's difficult for us. In our dis- in our society, the possibility that a mother, the one who is supposed to be stable and nurturing and loving and maternal and doting, would be the one that her children would need protection from is unfathomable. Right. But... In the same vein, you know, it's also, and and this is not to say that I don't understand why they would have, like, struggle with it, but, like, it's also the burden that we carry then to be the people that look into that. I think in the criminal justice system especially, and, you know, that's, that's where you and I have found, you know, our careers and everything, you have to be okay with seeing the worst side of humanity oh god and i'm not okay with it like oh yeah it happens but in a way you have to be able to accept that and move forward because there's work to do yep and in this case i think from the therapist's point they were they were probably like she's using drugs she's unwell she's this could be a side effect of whatever right there's no way this happened the police are like if this happened we'd have reports on this yeah but then also do your fucking due diligence. Check in with CPS who had a report for that. Who with clear, the exact who same thing. Center with flying colors. Yeah. But the report was the exact same fucking allegations. And like, absolutely. You don't want to believe it. You're going to, you're not going to see it. But like, at some point, there has to be enough breadcrumbs that add up. Oh, and I, I don't disagree with you, but I think. It was easier for people at the time to say, I've never heard of this. I would have heard of this. Oh, I get it. And that would be it. And the therapist, I don't really get because even if you don't believe her, sure, I guess you don't have to initially work through that, unpack that. What does that mean? If you think that's symbolic of something, then you work to get there. 
And therapy has come a long way in the last like decades or and whatnot. But man, I don't know. Th- this family has just been these kids, not this family, these children have been so disserviced so many times. I think it makes me so frustrated to be like the one that actually got out, the one that actually did the fucking thing. Yep. When Ugh. when Terry told of the horrors that she experienced, it was just considered fiction. Yeah, absolutely. Terry yeah. moved out of state to Utah to try to start a new life, but she couldn't just forget what happened to her family. Yeah. In 1992, Terry called into America's Most Wanted. Oh, shit. And she reported the details of both of her sister's deaths. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't until she was connected with Detective John Fitzgerald years later that there was any kind of forward movement in the case. Okay, John. So he realized that the details of Terry's stories seemed to match that of two bodies found approximately eight years before who had both been labeled as Jane Doe's. Okay. When Terry told of how Susan had been set on fire with her belongings, he recalled the body of a woman who was found still smoldering. Shit. That's how soon after they got there. I mean, it wasn't like it sat for months before somebody noticed this. They were there relatively soon, but she was in such bad condition. Yeah. It didn't matter. Then when she told of Sheila's death and how she had been starved for weeks, placed in a box and discarded... He, reali- he realizes that that account matches a body having been found a year after the first one, which mm-hmm. lines up with the timeline. Right. Terry could even describe the chips in Sheila's teeth from right. the force feedings, which matched with oh. the body that they found. So he's able to connect dots yes. that no one had had access okay. to. Okay. Because they had driven out of where they lived. So when she's reporting these police, like, or to the police oh, who don't okay. have access yeah. to that information... All right. So it's and it's years later. Now we've got almost a decade later. Things are catching up. It's labeled appropriately. Oh, There's more interagency communication. And so the dots are being connected. Now it's not just a young woman who is telling like people. People would be like, don't say something like that. Like, that's awful. <laughs> you know what mm-hmm. I mean? It's one of those like, Try why, w- it. Yeah. why would you even think that? That's, you know, one of yeah. those. And so. Finally, things are starting to come together. And he was actually the first professional to believe Terry, and he reopened an investigation into those cases. Yeah. Because otherwise, they had gone cold and were deemed unrelated to each other. Of course. So no one would have known that they were sisters. Oh. They weren't at all connected. They were labeled as two separate incidences because they didn't set the second body on fire. Right. It probably would have drawn more attention had it been the exact same, but it wasn't. One was left on the side of the road, set on fire. The other one was hogtied in a cardboard box, not set on fire. You wouldn't think those are the same. Right. With that, though, they were able to obtain arrest warrants for William Knorr and Robert Knorr, who were in their mid-20s at the time, okay. for the charges related to the murders of their sisters. They also obtained an arrest warrant for 47-year-old Teresa Knorr for two counts of murder, two counts of conspiracy to commit murder, and two special circumstances charges, and those were of multiple murder and murder by torture. Teresa was found working as, get this, right, a caregiver to an elderly woman and was providing in-home care. (sighs) 
<laughs> she was using her maiden name, Cross. Remember, we talked right. Teresa Cross to put distance between her and all the talk of the Knorr family in the media. Oh, my God. So there were no lines connected to her. Investigators, for once in this case, had perfect timing by oh, intervening good. when they did. Teresa knew that the police were on to her and she was trying to make an exit. She had told the family that she was working for that she was going on a trip. Okay. When she was arrested, she had already had her bags packed. She tried slipping out the back door. What the hell? They arrived at that home. She's like, I'll be right out. They walked around back and she comes like tiptoeing out with a bag. Yeah. Trying to fucking get out. And like, it's like for once someone had timing. Finally. Yeah. That could make a difference. Okay. All right. Of course, she claimed she was not guilty, and right. she entered a plea to reflect that, but obviously. Teresa was extradited from Utah, where she, like Terry, had relocated, which was interesting. They did not live far from each other, and I don't think either of them knew how close they were. Oh, shit. But they had both gone from California to y- Utah. For to Yata? To Yata. To Yata. <laughs> Yata. What in the hell? Both from California to Utah, and then in the same sort of general area of utah and then she gets extradited back to california because they're like nah bitch you're answering for this yes her son robert was easy to track down he was already serving time for a murder that he committed oh and which he shot and killed a bartender well he probably thinks that's fucking normal and he grew up william had tried to live as normal life as he could oh willie so he was arrested while he was at work in woodland california and William and Robert Nord had put up a fight to be charged in juvenile court. Because even though they were in their 20s when they were arrested, they were juveniles when the crimes occurred. Right. Robert agreed to testify against his mother and was offered a plea of several drop charges and a sentence of three years, which he would serve concurrent to the time he was doing for the unrelated murder. Oh, okay. So he's he's already away. They're not right. really looking to add much but they are going to use him. Okay. Now, with William, he agreed to testify against his mother in exchange for a, several of his charges to be dropped, and he would serve only probation. Yes, William. And he would enter into mandatory mental health counseling. Yes, that is, that's the fucking way to do it. Because okay. both of them had no choice. Yeah. A gun was pointed at them if they didn't do it. They were tr- just as traumatized. Right. Well, and the other piece of that, too, is I love that not only is it not time served, but it's time served with mandatory counseling. Like, you got to work through that shit. Yeah. So, William just got probation and got access to services, which of the two, he was the one that was trying to make a life for himself. He was trying to move forward. After learning that her sons had agreed to testify against her. Teresa swiftly threw down an Uno reverse card and entered a plea of guilty. Yeah, I bet she did. (laughs) Because she knew she didn't stand a chance with her kids agreeing to testify against her. Yeah. And she was afraid that they were going to seek the death penalty. So if she she made the agreement that if she pled. Oh, my God. She wouldn't get the death penalty. How fucking rich. You're afraid of being murdered. Uh huh. Wow. It's almost like. You shouldn't have murdered people. And the your other own thing children, is like, maybe. Consider the death penalty. There's, you know, there's a big debate on it and all of that. But it, it, that's not torture, murder. I Mm-mm. mean, if I check my, like, you know, if I if I check my notes and like look at my watch and all that good shit. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, that's usually pretty quick, like injection or the chair, like the firing squads, that it's over real fast and not, I don't know, dying of infection from a DIY surgery or starving to death in a two-by-two closet. But, you know, what do I know? What do I know? What do you know, Abigail? What fucking... Do you know? Shit about shit. I know nothing about nothing, but that... It's almost like she she herself handed down two death sentences. And now she's shitting her pants and clutching her pearls about one potentially being passed on to her. I just think that's rich. Yeah, the math ain't mathin'. (laughs) So on October 17th, 1995, she was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. That's fine. She is currently, operative word currently, as in still alive serving a life sentence in a California women's prison where she will spend the rest of her life. Okay. She's 77 years old. All right. And she will be eligible for parole in 2027 at the age of 81. Damn it. She's going to. No, she better never get out. She better never get out. Here's my thing. Billy Joel said it best. Only the good die young. And I have a fear that she may never die. Um, so (laughs) I'd like to see her in there for as long as humanly possible. Um, however, evil that deep, I don't know. Do they die? I don't know. But, uh, well, better not be while I'm alive. So it's sad to say that as of today, she's the only surviving female member of the Nora family. Oh, what happened to Terry? She murdered two of them. She murdered Susan and Sheila. And right. Terry sadly passed away in 2011 at the age of 41. Holy shit. Do we know why? I believe it was a cardiac issue. Oh, Terry. But I could be because wrong. Because that's what that much internalized stress does to you. Watch your stress level, people. It'll give you a heart attack. Shit. Robert North served his sentence for the murder of the bartender. Okay. And he was released back in 2013. Oh, and okay. I couldn't find anything further on him, so I'm hoping is keeping his nose clean. Sounds like it. And as for William, he has a family. He has oh. a daughter, and he has got a good job and is doing his best to lead a quote normal life. William deserves like a hug and a warm cup of milk. That is the conclusion of our mini series on Teresa Nor. Piece of shit, fucking dog shit, yeah, bag of shit, um, shithead, uh, shit, dick, canoe, yep. wrap it in a bag, light it on fire, put it in our own front yard. Yep. Yeah. Um, Twatsicle. Oh um, god. Yeah. There's a word I'd call her, but she lacks the depth and the warmth, so I won't. Oh. Um. But fucking a. She is. She's the worst. I am not only a 0% fan, I'm a negative 100% fan. I'm I'm anti-Teresa Noor. Well, the thing is, and so I'm, I'm not ignorant to the fact that there were mental health concerns. However, a lot of people struggle with their mental health. And she was not deemed incompetent. She knew, the, she knew right from wrong. She right. knew what she was doing. She knew that she killed her kids and... There was so much preparation yeah, for the future for her to make sure that she wasn't caught. To me, it just it's different than like this frenzied ah, rage you're a demon. of Get away. passion yeah. sort of event. 
not this ongoing over decades of severe abuse to your kids and then villainizing them. The other piece of it I think that really bothers me is that not only obviously is there enough time where she's not necessarily in these I want to say like episodes right but she fully like it takes time to have somebody starve to death it takes weeks especially somebody that you've been force feeding Mm -hmm. because they're gonna have some fat stored on their body from all the fucking food you're shoving down their face um it takes a long time dehydration less so but it still takes a long time Mm -hmm. and it's not like ah shoot you whoopsies now you're dead it's like i'm just i'm just not gonna deal with it i'll leave you there and it was the same thing after shooting her daughter. So it's not just like these fits of rage. It's the complete and utter apathy afterwards. And frankly, it makes me upset because it's like there, so many people with mental health issues hurt nobody. Mm-hmm. Not even like, frankly, not even themselves. And yes, unchecked mental illness can lead to very real consequences as we're seeing. But that is not the majority of mentally ill people. It is so frustrating to see that one who is this mentally ill, who's not deemed incompetent. No, because she's not. Yeah. She's sane. And like, of course, always feel for the kid, but it's the adult's responsibility. The second you know better, you have to try to do better or there's nothing else in there. That's it. Well, and short of and i'm not saying that this isn't traumatic and awful short of losing her mother when she was young there are no reports of severe abuse that she suffered so all of this rage and anger and frankly creative ways to hurt people wasn't learned behavior from what i can tell yeah which kind of makes it scarier because then it's just her own sort of imagination yeah Yeah. and the other thing that i find interesting in a really fucked up way Uh is that she went on to be a caretaker of somebody and from reports that family liked her she wasn't like this terrible caretaker who would like let her suffer overload her on meds or you know she was taking care of this elderly woman i believe was the case it was like you know going to the home and doing that and from all reports i saw like she was a welcome part of the team and so she was capable of the nurturing piece she She, just refused like it existed inside of her it wasn't like that was the missing piece and that synapse didn't happen yeah like those synapses could fire she they had, just she didn't. was capable yeah and I, so you you let your kid you force your kid you inflict that on your kid and then you watch her suffer yeah and you're okay with that but you can go caretake another human that you didn't birth i don't know yeah. it's just you should have that toward all people and she had it toward everyone but the people she made it's so twisted like and i i don't know i feel so badly for those children i'm so glad that william's out there trying to do his best i'm glad that terry got away when she did but Um, terry probably only had maybe what 
10 15 years of knowing her mother was away yeah before she herself died and from what i could tell terry didn't go on to have children but she did have what was referred to as a life partner i i I didn't get the sense that she was married but she was with a man that she cared about right and so i mean she she was not alone and suffering right i mean i'm sure there there was suffering on everyone's part there's no doubt about that but she had some good years yeah but she was so shortchanged well and it's that i mean she outlived her sisters two times over and even she died young yeah well and what's sad to me is that it doesn't have to be the abuse in the moment that kills them Mm -hmm. you know it can be that long-lasting effect of trauma of all of the things you know i'm sure that she was privy to things that she should i mean they were all privy to things they should not have ever had to see but that especially as like the baby she grew up and watched all of that unfold before her so at months old you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. She was still watching her siblings get the shit beat out of them until it started to her. Yeah. And her siblings were shell-shocked and yeah. traumatized and terrified. And so she's brought up into a family that she doesn't know her siblings as the people that they could have been. She knows them as right, terrified and abused and like hurt animals, basically, which is exactly yeah. how Teresa wanted them to be. Right. And so she didn't get to see the potential. She wasn't old enough, I think, to recognize what that could have been. Yeah. It's all... uh, I'm sorry. It's all around bad. It's terrible. It's awful. But it's such a eye-opener to me looking at parents who kill their children. Yeah. And I, I know that I'm very lucky to have great parents and parents who would never hurt me let alone this but i mean there's such a contrast between just living what's we consider a typical life to what these kids lived with every day and nobody knew i'm like i'm glad the neighbors noticed the fire but could you have noticed like years before that that these kids were fucking tortured or like like, i don't know that they weren't ever allowed to go out of their house and the house was never put up for sale like you didn't know i mean maybe you didn't know how many people were in that home they really weren't allowed to leave i mean she would fake birth certificates and have them go like work really weird under the table jobs to bring money home but the older girls the pretty ones yeah she essentially pimped out so it's just like that wasn't something that they wanted to do i'm sure I'm sure Sheila at 20 wanted to get the hell away from there, but instead she was only allowed outside if she was earning money for her mom. Right. What the fuck? I mean, this is an awful case. I had never heard anything about it. Ugh. Ugh. And also, um, just feeling like I should say this. Parental abuse does not have to be this bad for you to seek help for it, but this is particularly heinous. Yes. Um, Damn. Well, I think I have an idea for a good reprieve. I think that would be important. Okay, you guys. So for a reprieve, because this was absolutely banana pants shit bag awful, um, 
Allie and I wanted to talk about some of our favorite TV moms. <laughs> yes, and not because they're such amazing moms, like, they parent so well. I mean, some of them are. Yeah, but just some favorite levity funny yeah silly something good with moms and media that isn't this piece of shit that we're talking about i think i have to start with moira rose yes because we do reference shit's creek so much you and your baby baby um (laughs) i just think she's an absolute fucking riot (laughs) david no that's more alexis Ew, David. Ew, David. I feel like Moira has a very undiscernible accent, which is very fun. Oh, she absolutely does. I think, what is it when they go to like sell the, or no, buy a car and they're like an accent from an unknown place. Yeah. (laughs) Alexis. Alexis. She just has very fun intonation. Anyway. Baby. (laughs) She just, I don't know. It's just the show's a riot. She's funny. I don't think she's this like amazing maternal doting mother, but (laughs) she's a riot and she's good i she love is, her she's so funny you hate them all in the beginning because you're like these are your problems yeah like oh wait i like, like you guys oh wait <laughs> we grow oh cute um a much less recurring character in fact i think it was a one-time character on new girl um was nick's mom bonnie miller mm-hmm. uh she just reminds me of the midwest Aww, um, so when you're homesick you can watch that episode yes Aww. it is hysterical um it's i think an episode no an I think it's in season two. It's called Chicago. It's when Nick's dad dies. Um, But she is obsessed with having like an Elvis themed funeral. She does not like Jess who comes home because she's like a rando she doesn't like. And just like touches her on the shoulder and she's like, you touch me girly. And it's (laughs) it's just so good. Oh, it reminds me of home. (laughs) And then she packs some little cheese puffs for the road. Yeah, I feel like that's a very Midwest mom thing to yeah. do. I like that. <laughs> I would say for the next one of my favorite TV moms, I would have to say Kitty Foreman. Yes. From that 70s show. I just think the banter between her and Red is so wholesome and so good. And yes. so from that time. And it's I know I wasn't alive in the 70s, whatever. But I feel a nostalgia for that. Even yeah. though it's not a time I was alive, I just think they're just so cute and how they pretend to not know what they're doing in the basement but like come on y'all knew what they were doing in the basement i know that one out of so many teenagers smoke cigarettes and i can count so i'm gonna close my eyes and hold out my hand and when i open it there better be a cigarette (laughs) (laughs) i love her she's so good um i think my other fun favorite is linda belcher from bob's burgers because obviously Mm -hmm. um there is nobody quite in the world that is as fun as Linda Belcher as my roommate's mom. They have very similar energy. <laughs> uh, it's so good. She'll like sing random songs. Linda's hysterical. She's got her fun little like collection things. <laughs> oh my goodness. She always makes really funny, bad little songs. Like she makes a Thanksgiving one. <laughs> it's so good. And she's just fun. Like, Bob's Burgers is a very fun, mindless show for me, but it's also nice because the only times it's ever made me emotional were like, this is so sweet and wholesome and adorable and delightful. I like ran out of breath. I heard that. Um, came from like the back of your throat. I know. It was not great. So um, that would definitely be my other fun TV mom. Okay. For another fun TV set of moms. Yes. To me would have to be Deborah and Marie. From 
everybody loves Raymond. Yeah. I just think they're hilarious. I mean, Maria's so over the top <laughs> and so intrusive and bad and I would not want her as a mother-in-law, but she means well. She cares. She makes a hell of a fucking yeah. gravy and I that just <laughs> yeah, that that does it for me. Um but I think they're funny and I think the acting in that show is so good. There's yeah. there's no one dull. There's you know, there's no one that draws attention because yeah. they're bad. Which so is I hard like to that. do in like the early 2000s sitcoms, you know? And yeah, all the adults in it were just good. I mean, I love Peter Boyle in it too cuz he's hilarious, yeah. but I like the dynamic between the two of them. So that was like a show I'd come home. I would like watch my Drake and Joss and my SpongeBob. Yes. <laughs> Drake and Joss. I would watch my Drake and Josh and my SpongeBob and like all the, you know, mm-hmm. Danny Phantom and all <gasps> that stuff. But Danny Phantom. I would also have the soft spot for watching Everybody Loves yes. Raymond, which I didn't feel like people my age were watching. But for some reason it was wholesome to me and I had to. <laughs> I loved Everybody Loves Raymond. I also really liked Home Improvement, but, like, these were my sick shows. So, like, if I was homesick because they weren't always on when I'd get home, I would just go through them during the day. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, so good. You know what I hated, though? Mm. The beginning of the George Lopez show. Oh, of course. Because every time, I don't know what it is. It's like a freaking fever dream. But I would, like, fall asleep on the couch in the summer, like, watching something. It, it's the summer because, like, you can do whatever the fuck you want when you're of a kid. And I'd, like, oh, wake that. up hazily to, like, the trampoline, like, jumping yeah. intro of, like, flow And <laughs> the thing is, is I don't know what it is, but I never liked George Lopez. I know. I don't know. I just, maybe it's just because I only ever watched the show. Like, I didn't watch him in anything else. I don't know what he's what else he's been in. I really have no yeah. idea. But that show, I hated the intro so much because it would scare the yes. shit out of me in that same exact situation that i would have to either turn the tv off or change the channel and it just <laughs> left a bad taste in my mouth because yeah. i didn't like it so much Ugh. so the show could be amazing and i have no idea because i would never get past the intro because i hated it so much. or like i could get like halfway through and then i'd be like I... like it's 2 a.m i should probably go yeah. to bed like you know it would just i'm not be one invested of in this enough to stay up later and i'm exhausted and this is already a journey to get here so yes. i'm gonna go to bed um, so i don't know i like the woman who plays his wife yeah she's she funny fun. and she's been in a lot of other things so i i like her i just think it was him i didn't like so yeah sorry george but i couldn't Mama. handle your intro i couldn't hand and the timing was just bad george please if that were if it were 4 p.m <laughs> i could have probably yeah. like dealt get myself that. a little doritos and a capri sun that'd be good i i probably could i could have had a freeze pop and just yeah. chill but you know what not you at ruined that time. it you ruined There's- it a time and a place, George. Please. Not at the ass crack of dawn. Just don't <laughs> do it. So that's my spiel on George Lopez. Anyway. Um, my last two favorite TV moms are also a pair. Um, and it does make me really like gushy and sappy. But I don't know if any of you have ever seen Jane the Virgin. It is hysterical. It's so witty. It's so well done. But it's basically the story of um, a three generation family of Latina women who the daughter Jane is raised like a very devout Catholic and she's a virgin when she gets pregnant um, by artificial insemination. The gynecologist mixes it up. And so she's a pregnant virgin goes to the wrong room or whatever to do it. Yes. And that's how this thing, like the whole thing starts, but it's basically she sue. Tell me she sues. No, damn it. That wouldn't make falls in love with the hunky brother. Um, anyway, It's based on like, it's supposed to be like a soap opera. It's like a telenovela, but Americanized. 
and um the two mothers and there's Yomara and Aweda who I'm not sure if they ever actually give her first name but is just delightful it is so sweet because it is really just like a whole series on motherhood almost like yes it is fun it's drama there's like romance and all of that but like through the whole thing it's just this theme of how important moms are and how wonderful they can be and how loving and like despite the generational differences and like the cultural differences throughout time like it's just beautiful and it's delightful so if you can I highly recommend going to watch that but well, that's very sweet. I love it so much. It's adorable. They're so kind to each other. And like, they always fight, but they make up. Like, mm. it's good. Those are good peeps. The good moms. I like it. All, All right. right. I feel better after. Me too. That, that was horrible. like a, a bunch of gut punches right in a row. I know. I'm sorry. Also, you guys, we hope that you guys are doing okay. If you obviously needed anything from that, like... I don't know, a resource or a place to talk or something like that. If you wanted to go to our Instagram, we always have resources for you guys up. In fact, it's in a resources highlight tab that you can click right mm-hmm. on through and they're there for you to screenshot, copy and paste, do whatever yeah, you want. Click on that link, baby. It's all there. If you wanted to do that, you could search it up in our little Instagram by typing in that little box, probably ATFTC. I think it will show up. But if you wanted to do like the whole long thing, it would be... <gasps> About time for true crime pod with periods in between every word. So that would be A B O U T period T I M E period F O R period T R U E period C R I M E period P O D because podcast was too long, guys. Um, but if you wanted to send something a little bit longer than Instagram, or if you just wanted to give us your thoughts, your feelings, um, maybe scream into the void about how awful of a human being Teresa Noor is, um, you could definitely do that to our email. But Allie, where would they email that? So if you want to send us an email, we would love for you to send that to about time, the number four, TC at gmail.com. So that's A-B-O-U-T-T-I-M-E, numeric four, TC at gmail.com. You can send us case recommendations, feedback on other cases, just say hello, questions about anything, send what your pod have pets. you. We would love to see your pod pets. I have such an arsenal of pod pets. I really need to start sharing them on our Instagram. Yeah. I will do that. Because we've gotten so many awesome photos from so oh. many adorable pod pets. I and love they're part them. of the family, too. It's you yeah. and your pets. So, I mean, you know, the more the merrier. But anyway, we really appreciate it. And if you appreciate us and you like what you heard, we would love if you did a couple of things. And it'll cost you zero dollars, zero cents. Promise. Free 99, baby. We would appreciate you downloading our episodes. Oh, yeah. Sharing them. Telling a friend. Tell a family member. Um, if you could rate. leave a review, rate us. I'm just saying five review. stars. I'm just, I'm Six just saying, star. I'm just speaking that into five stars. We five stars. like, we know that we're your favorite true crime podcast and you really didn't have to say that. We really feel so. No, really. Cause we said it for you. It's totally fine. Yeah. It's okay. And we are so appreciative, but genuinely it is so helpful. It's so nice. It does a lot for us. And we read every single review. We love it because again, ATFTC fam, it's not the same without you. And we want to know how you're doing. So absolutely. Let us know. Uh, You can do that on Spotify. You can do that on Apple Podcasts. You can do that on Google Podcasts. You can do that on RSS. At least downloading. I'm not sure about reviewing. But, you know, we love it. We appreciate it all. And you're how we, we keep growing. It's so nice that you're in it with us. 
we just love and appreciate you and we hope that you have a very lovely rest of your day absolutely and we will see you in our next episode and if i check my watch real quick i do believe that that was about time for true crime bye later see you next time